This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray Chapter 5 Of the outlaws present, Euchre appeared to be the one most inclined to lend friendliness to curiosity, and he led Duane and the horses away to a small adobe shack. He tied the horses in an open shed and removed their saddles. Then, gathering up Stevens's weapons, he invited his visitor to enter the house. It had two rooms, windows without coverings, bare floors. One room contained blankets, weapons, saddles, and bridles, the other a stone fireplace, rude table and bench, two bunks, a box cupboard, and various blackened utensils. "'Make yourself to home as long as you want to stay,' said Euchre. "'I ain't rich in this world's goods, but I own what's here, and you're welcome.' "'Thanks. I'll stay a while and rest. I'm pretty well played out,' replied Duane. Euchre gave him a keen glance. "'Go ahead and rest. I'll take your horses to grass.' Euchre left Duane alone in the house. Duane relaxed then, and mechanically he wiped the sweat from his face. He was laboring under some kind of a spell or shock which did not pass off quickly. When it had worn away he took off his coat and belt and made himself comfortable on the blankets. And he had a thought that if he rested or slept what difference would it make on the morrow. No rest, no sleep could change the gray outlook of the future. He felt glad when Euchre came bustling in, and for the first time he took notice of the outlaw. Euchre was old in years. What little hair he had was gray, his face clean-shaven and full of wrinkles. His eyes were half shut from long gazing through the sun and dust. He stooped, but his thin frame denoted strength and endurance still unimpaired. "'Hey, a drink or a smoke?' he asked. Twain shook his head. He had not been unfamiliar with whiskey, and he had used tobacco moderately since he was sixteen. But now, strangely, he felt a disgust at the idea of stimulants. He did not understand clearly what he felt. There was that vague idea of something wild in his blood, something that made him fear himself. Euchre wagged his old head sympathetically. Reckon you feel a little sick. When it comes to shootin', I run. What's your age? I'm twenty-three, replied Duane. Euchre showed surprise. You're only a boy. I thought you thirty anyways. Buck, I heard what you told Bland, and puttin' that with my own figurin', I reckon you're no criminal yet. Throwin' a gun in self-defense, that ain't no crime. Duane, finding relief in talking, told more about himself. "'Huh,' replied the old man. "'I've been on this river for years, and I've seen hundreds of boys come in on the dodge. Most of them, though, was no good. And that kind don't last long. This river country has been and is the refuge for criminals from all over the states. I've bunked with bank cashiers, forgers, plain thieves, and out-and-out -out murderers, all of which had no business on the Texas border. Fellers like Bland are exceptions. He's no Texan, 
you seen that. The gang he rules here come from all over, and they're tough cusses, you can bet on that. They live fat and easy. If it wasn't for the fightin' among themselves, they'd sure grow populous. The Rimrock is no place for a peaceable, decent feller. I heard you tell Bland you wouldn't join his gang. That'll not make him take a likin' to you. Have you any money? Not much, replied Duane. Could you live by gambling? Are you any good at cards? No. You wouldn't steal hosses or rustle cattle? <laughs> no. When your money's gone, how in hell will you live? There ain't any work a decent feller could do. You can't herd with greasers. Why, Bland's men would shoot at you in the fields. What'll you do, son? God knows, replied Duane hopelessly. I'll make my money as last as long as possible, then starve. Well, I'm pretty poor, but you'll never starve while I got anything. Here it struck Duane again, that something human and kind and eager which he had seen in Stevens. Duane's estimate of outlaws had lacked this quality. He had not accorded them any virtues. To him, as to the outside world, they had been merely vicious men without one redeeming feature. "'I'm much obliged to you, Euchre,' replied Duane. "'But, of course, I, I won't live with any one unless I can pay my share.' "'Have it any way you like, my son,' said Euchre, good-humouredly. You make a fire, and I'll set about getting grub. I'm a sourdough, Buck. That man doesn't live who can beat my bread. How do you ever pack supplies in here? asked Duane, thinking of the almost inaccessible nature of the valley. Uh, some comes across from Mexico, and the rest down the river. That river trip is a bird. It's more than five hundred miles to any supply point. Bland has mozos greaser boatmen. Sometimes, too, he gets supplies in from downriver. You see, Bland sells thousands of cattle in Cuba, and all this stock has to go down by boat to meet the ships. Where on earth are the cattle driven down to the river? asked Duane. That's not my secret, replied Euchre shortly. Fact is, I don't know. I've rustled cattle for Bland, but he never sent me through the rim-rock with him. Duane experienced a sort of pleasure in the realization that interest had been stirred in him. He was curious about Bland and his gang, and glad to have something to think about. For every once in a while he had a sensation that was almost like a pang. He wanted to forget. In the next hour he did forget, and enjoyed helping in the preparation and eating of the meal. Euchre, after washing and hanging up the several utensils, put on his hat and turned to go out. "'Come along or stay here as you want,' he said to Duane. "'I'll stay,' rejoined Duane slowly. The old outlaw left the room and trudged away, whistling cheerfully. Duane looked around him for a book or paper, anything to read, but all the printed matter he could find consisted of a few words on cartridge boxes and an advertisement on the back of a tobacco pouch. There seemed to be nothing for him to do. He had rested. He did not want to lie down any more. He began to walk to and fro, from one end of the room to the other. 
and as he walked he fell into the lately acquired habit of brooding over his misfortune. Suddenly he straightened up with a jerk. Unconsciously he had drawn his gun. Standing there with a bright cold weapon in his hand, he looked at it in consternation. How had he come to draw it? With difficulty he traced his thoughts backward, but could not find any that were accountable for his act. He discovered, however, that he had a remarkable tendency to drop his hand to his gun. That might have come from the habit long practice in drawing had given him. Likewise it might have come from a subtle sense, scarcely thought of at all, of the late, close, and inevitable relation between that weapon and himself. He was amazed to find that, bitter as he had grown at fate, the desire to live burned strong in him. If he had been as unfortunately situated, but with the differences that no man wanted to put him in jail or take his life, he felt that this burning passion to be free, to save himself, might not have been so powerful. Life certainly held no bright prospects for him. Already he had begun to despair of ever getting back to his home. But to give up like a white-hearted coward, to let himself be handcuffed and jailed, to run from a drunken, bragging cowboy, or be shot in cold blood by some border brute who merely wanted to add another notch to his gun, these things were impossible for Duane, because there was in him the temper to fight. In that hour he yielded only to fate and the spirit inborn in him. Hereafter this gun must be a living part of him. Right then and there he returned to a practice he had long discontinued, the draw. It was now a stern, bitter, deadly business with him. He did not need to fire the gun, for accuracy was a gift and had become assured. Swiftness on the draw, however, could be improved, and he set himself to acquire the limit of speed possible to any man. He stood still in his tracks. He paced the room. He sat down, lay down, put himself in awkward positions, and from every position he practiced throwing his gun practice it till he was hot and tired, and his arm ached and his hand burned. That practice he determined to keep up every day. It was one thing at least that would help pass the weary hours. Later he went outdoors to the cooler shade of the cottonwoods. From this point he could see a good deal of the valley. Under different circumstances Duane felt that he would have enjoyed such a beautiful spot. Euchre's shack sat against the first rise of the slope of the wall, and Duane, by climbing a few rods, got a view of the whole valley. Assuredly it was an outlaw settlement. He saw a good many Mexicans, who, of course, were hand-in-glove with Bland. Also he saw enormous flatboats, crude of structure, moored along the banks of the river. The Rio Grande rolled away between high bluffs. A cable, sagging deep in the middle, was stretched over the wide yellow stream, and an old scow, evidently used as a ferry, lay anchored on the far shore. The valley was an ideal retreat for an outlaw band operating on a big scale. Pursuit scarcely needed be feared over the broken trails of the rimrock, and the open end of the valley could be defended against almost any number of men coming down the river. Access to Mexico was easy and quick. What puzzled Duane was how Bland got cattle down to the river, and he wondered if the rustler really did get rid of his stolen stock by use of boats. 
Twain must have idled considerable time up on the hill, for when he returned to the shack, Euchre was busily engaged around the campfire. "'Wow, glad to see you ain't so pale about the gills as you was,' he said, by way of greeting. "'Pitch in, and we'll soon have grub ready. There's sure one consoling fact round this here camp.' "'What's that?' asked Duane. "'Plenty of good, juicy beef to eat, and it doesn't cost a short bit. "'But it costs hard rides and trouble, bad conscience and life, too, doesn't it?' I ain't sure about the bad conscience. Mine never bothered me none. And as for life, why, that's cheap in Texas. Who is Bland? asked Duane, quickly changing the subject. What do you know about him? We don't know who he is or where he hails from, replied Euchre. That's always been something to interest the gang. He must have been a young man when he struck Texas. Now he's middle-aged. I remember how years ago he was soft-spoken and not rough in talk, or act like he is now. Bland ain't likely his right name. He knows a lot. He can doctor you, and he's sure a knowing fellow with tools. He's the kind that rules men. Outlaws are always riding in here to join his gang, and if it hadn't been for the gambling and gunplay, he'd have a thousand men around him. How many in his gang now? I reckon they're short of a hundred now. The number varies. Then Bland has several small camps up and down the river. Also he has men back on the cattle ranges. How does he control such a big force? asked Duane. Especially when his band's composed of bad men. Luke Stevens said he had no use for Bland, and I heard once somewhere that Bland was a devil. That's it. He is a devil. He's as hard as flint, violent in temper, never made any friends except his right-hand men, Dave Rugg and Chess Alloway. Bland'll shoot at a wink. He's killed a lot of fellers, and some for nothing. The reason that outlaws gather round him and stick is because he's a safe refuge, and then he's well-heeled. Bland is rich." They say he has a hundred thousand pesos hid somewhere, and lots of gold. But he's free with money. He gambles when he's not off with a shipment of cattle. He throws money around. And the fact is, there's always plenty of money where he is. That's what holds the gang. Dirty, bloody money. It's a wonder he hasn't been killed. All these years on the border, exclaimed Duane. Well replied Euchre dryly. He's been quicker on the draw than the other fellers who hankered to kill him, that's all. Euchre's reply rather chilled Duane's interest for the moment. Such remarks always made his mind revolve around facts pertaining to himself. Speaking of this here swift risk game, went on Euchre, there's been considerable talk in camp about your throwing of a gun. You know, Buck, that among us fellers, us hunted men, there ain't anything calculated to rouse respect like a slick hand with a gun. I heard Bland say this afternoon, and he said it serious-like and speculative, that he'd never seen your equal. He was watching of you close, he said, and just couldn't follow your hand when you drawed. All the fellows who seen you meet Bossomer had something to say. 
Bow was about as handy with a gun as any man in this camp, barring Chess Alloway and maybe Bland himself. Chess is the captain with a colt. Or he was. And he sure didn't like the references made about your speed. Bland was honest in acknowledging it, but he didn't like it neither. Some of the fellers allowed your draw might have been just accident. But most of them figured different and they all shut up when bland told who and what your dad was appears to me i once seen your dad in a gun scrape over at santone years ago well i put my oar in today among the fellers and i says what ails you loco gents did young duane budge an inch when bo came roaring out blood in his eye wasn't he cool and quiet stead of lips and weren't his eyes reading Bo's mind? And that lightning draw, can't you all see that's a family gift? Euchre's narrow eyes twinkled, and he gave the dough he was rolling a slap with his flower-whitened hand. Manifestly he had proclaimed himself a champion and partner of Duane's, with all the pride an old man could feel in a young one whom he admired. Well, he resumed presently, that's your introduction to the border, Buck and your card was a high trump. You'll be let severely alone by real gunfighters, and men like Bland, Alloway, Rugg, and the bosses of the other gangs. After all, these real men are men, you know, and unless you cross them they're no more likely to interfere with you than you are with them. But there's a sight of fellers like Bossomer in the river country. They'll all want your game." and every town you ride into will scare up some cow-puncher full of booze or a long-haired four-flush gunman or a sheriff, and these men will be playing to the crowd and yelling for your blood. That's the Texas of it. You'll have to hide forever in the breaks or you'll have to kill such men. Buck, I reckon this ain't cheerful news to a decent chap like you. I'm only telling you because I've taken a liking to you and I seen right off that you ain't border-wise. Let's eat now, and afterward we'll go out so the gang can see you're not hiding. When Duane went out with Euchre, the sun was setting behind a blue range of mountains across the river in Mexico. The valley appeared to open to the southwest. It was a tranquil, beautiful scene. Somewhere in the house near at hand a woman was singing and in the road Duane saw a little Mexican boy driving home some cows, one of which wore a bell. The sweet, happy voice of a woman and a whistling barefoot boy. These seemed utterly out of place here. Euchre presently led to the square and the row of rough houses Duane remembered. He almost stepped on a wide imprint in the dust where Bosmer had confronted him and a sudden cold fury beset him that he should be affected strangely by the sight of it. "'Let's have a look in here,' said Euchre. Duane had to bend his head to enter the door. He found himself in a very large room, enclosed by adobe walls and roofed with brush. It was full of rude benches, tables, seats. At one corner a number of kegs and barrels lay side by side in a rack. A Mexican boy was lighting lamps hung on posts that sustained the log rafters of the roof. "'The only feller who's going to put a close eye on you is Benson,' said Euchre. "'He runs the place and sells drinks. The gang calls him Jack Rabbit Benson, 
because he's always got his eye peeled and his ear cocked. Don't notice him if he looks you over, Buck. Benson is scared to death of every newcomer who rustles into Bland's camp. And the reason I take it is because he's done somebody dirt. He's hiding. Not from a sheriff or ranger. Men who hide from them don't act like Jackrabbit Benson. He's hiding from some guy who's hunting him to kill him. Well, I'm always expecting to see some feller ride in here and throw a gun on Benson. Can't say I'd be grieved. Duane casually glanced in the direction indicated, and he saw a spare, gaunt man with a face strikingly white beside the red and bronze and dark skins of the men around him. It was a cadaverous face. The black mustache hung down. A heavy lock of black hair dropped down over the brow. Deep-set, hollow, staring eyes looked out piercingly. The man had a restless, alert, nervous manner. He put his hands on the board that served as a bar and stared at Duane. But when he met Duane's glance, he turned hurriedly to go on serving out liquor. "'What have you got against him?' inquired Duane, as he sat down beside Euchre. He asked more for something to say than from real interest. What did he care about a mean, haunted, craven-faced criminal? "'Well, maybe I'm cross-grained,' replied Euchre, apologetically. "'Sure, an outlaw and rustler such as me can't be touchy. But I never stole nothing but cattle from some rancher who never missed him anyway. That sneak Benson. He was the means of putting a little girl in Bland's way.' "'Girl?' queried Duane, now with real attention. "'Sure. Bland's great on women. I'll tell you about this girl when we get out of here. Some of the gang are going to be sociable, and I can't talk about the chief.' During the ensuing half-hour a number of outlaws passed by Duane and Euchre, halting for a greeting, or sat down for a moment. They were all gruff, loud-voiced, merry, and good-natured. Duane replied civilly and agreeably when he was personally addressed, but he refused all invitations to drink and gamble. Evidently he had been accepted, in a way, as one of their clan. No one made any hint of an allusion to his affair with Bossomer. Duane saw readily that Euchre was well liked. One outlaw borrowed money from him, another asked for tobacco. By the time it was dark the big room was full of outlaws and Mexicans most of whom were engaged at Monte. These gamblers, especially the Mexicans, were intense and quiet. The noise in the place came from the drinkers, the loungers. Duane had seen gambling resorts, some of the famous ones in San Antonio and El Paso, a few in border towns where license went unchecked. But this place of Jackrabbit Benson's impressed him as one where guns and knives were accessories to the game. To his perhaps rather distinguishing eye, the most prominent thing about the gamesters appeared to be their weapons. On several of the tables were piles of silver, Mexican pesos, as large and high as the crown of his hat. There were also piles of gold and silver in United States coin. Duane needed no experienced eye to see that betting was heavy, and that heavy sums exchanged hands. The Mexicans showed a sterner obsession an intenser passion. Some of the Americans staked freely, nonchalantly, as befitted men to whom money was nothing. These latter were manifestly winning, 
for there were brother outlaws there who wagered coin with grudging, sullen, greedy eyes. Boisterous talk and laughter among the drinking men drowned, except at intervals, the low, brief talk of the gamblers. The clink of coins sounded incessantly, sometimes just low, steady, musical rings, and again, when a pile was tumbled quickly, there was a silvery crash. Here an outlaw pounded on a table with the butt of his gun. There another noisily palmed a roll of dollars while he studied his opponent's face. The noises, however, in Benson's den did not contribute to any extent to the sinister aspect of the place. That seemed to come from the grim and reckless faces, from the bent, intent heads, from the dark lights and shades. There were bright lights, but these served only to make the shadows, and in the shadows lurked unrestrained lust of gain, a spirit ruthless and reckless, a something at once suggesting lawlessness, theft, murder, and hell. "'Bland's not here to-night,' Euchre was saying. He left today on one of his trips, taking Alloway and some others. But his other man, Rugg, he's here. See him standing with them three fellers, all close to Benson. Rugg's the little bow-legged man with a half of his face shot off. He's one-eyed but he can sure see out of the one he's got. And, darn me, there's Hardin. You know him? He's got an outlaw gang as big as Blant's. Hardin is standing next to Benson. See how quiet, unassuming he looks? Yes, that's Hardin. He comes here once in a while to see Bland. They're friends, which sure strange. Do you see that greaser there? the one with gold and lace on his sombrero? That's Manuel, a Mexican bandit. He's a great gambler. Comes here often to drop his coin. Next to him is Bill Marr, the fellow with the bandana round his head. Bill rode in the other day with some fresh bullet holes. He's been shot more than any fellow I ever heard of. He's full of lead. Funny, because Bill's no trouble hunter, and, like me, he'd rather run than shoot. But he's the best rustler Bland's got, a grand rider, and a wonder with cattle. And see the tow-headed youngster. That's Kid Fuller, the kid of Bland's gang. Fuller has hit the pace hard, and he won't last the year out on the border. He killed his sweetheart's father, got run out of Stacytown, took to stealing horses. Next he's here with Bland. Another boy gone wrong, and now sure a hard nut. Euchre went on calling Duane's attention to other men, just as he happened to glance over them. Any one of them would have been a marked man in a respectable crowd. Here each took his place with more or less distinction, according to the record of his past wild prowess and his present possibilities. Duane, realizing that he was tolerated there, received in careless, friendly spirit by this terrible class of outcasts, experienced a feeling of revulsion that amounted almost to horror. Was this being there not an ugly dream? What had he in common with such ruffians? Then in a flash of memory came the painful proof. He was a criminal in sight of Texas law. He, too, was an outcast. For the moment... Duane was wrapped up in painful reflections. But Euchre's heavy hand, 
clapping with a warning hold on his arm, brought him back to outside things. The hum of voices, the clink of coin, the loud laughter, had ceased. There was a silence that manifestly had followed some unusual word or action sufficient to still the room. It was broken by a harsh curse and the scrape of a bench on the floor. Some men had risen. "'You stack the cards, you!' "'Say that twice,' another voice replied, so different in its cool, ominous tone from the other. "'I'll say it twice,' returned the first gamester, in hot haste. "'I'll say it three times. I'll whistle it. Are you deaf? "'You light-fingered gent, you stack the cards!' Silence ensued, deeper than before, pregnant with meaning. For all that Duane saw, not an outlaw moved for a full moment. Then suddenly the room was full of disorder as men rose and ran and dived everywhere. "'Run or duck!' yelled Euchre close to Duane's ear. With that he dashed for the door. Duane leaped after him. They ran into a jostling mob. Heavy gunshots and hoarse yells hurried the crowd Duane was with pell-mell out into the darkness. There they all halted, and several peeped in at the door. "'Who was the kid callin'? asked one outlaw. "'Bud Marsh,' replied another. "'I reckon them fuss shots was Bud's. Adios, kid. It was comin' to him,' went on yet another. "'How many shots?' three or four i counted three heavy and one light that light one was the kid's thirty-eight listen there's the kid hollering now he ain't cashed anyway at this juncture most of the outlaws began to file back into the room duane thought he had seen and heard enough in benson's den for one night and he started slowly down the walk presently euchre caught up with him nobody hurt much was sure some strange he said. The kid, young Fuller that I was telling you about, he was drinking and losing. Lost his nut, too, calling Bud Marsh that way. Bud's as straight at cards as any of them. Somebody grabbed Bud, who shot into the roof, and Fuller's arm was knocked up. He only hit a greaser. End of chapter. <laughs>